Welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountain, the podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode and every episode by my co-hosts. There was no road that did not expect her, nor vehicle she could not command. Whitney Nelson. (laughs) And look at him. Perverse as a pink pickle. Evan Wells. Wow. Wow. No. No? I don't even know what that means. Thumbs down for that one? Why is a pink pickle perverse? (laughs) I... I was just going with the context of when it was said in the film. It all made sense given the given the. Oh yeah, kind of. You're the victim here. <laughs> I'm the victim. We're gonna get into it. <laughs> all right, look. I have some quick stuff I want to want to knock out up front here. So, the first thing is literally moments before we started recording this podcast, I created uh, a Giphy channel for Cool Breeze Pod because I'm watching these movies anyway and I'm scrubbing through and finding all this stuff. I figured let's make some sweet-ass gifts that we can share and use on the website and stuff. So you can find that at giphy.com slash channel slash Cool Breeze Pod. I will put it in our pinned tweet as well. I think it's worthwhile. There's a couple of them from this movie uh, on there right now. So that's a lot of fun. Mm Mm-hmm. The second thing was kind of just a little discussion I wanted to have with the two of you, uh, because as we've gotten into some of the bigger Keanu Reeves movies, I've had more friends and family members now decide to get interested, which is fine. Mm -hmm. I understand. You don't want to talk about Mm -hmm. River's Edge or whatever. Flying is not bringing (laughs) the people in the door. (laughs) Right. But as soon as we hit point break, there was a spike in interest from a lot of folks. Of course. The... The thing that kept coming up, well, not kept coming up, but came up uh, more than once was like people believing that we are a little bit negative about Keanu Reeves, thinking this might be like a tongue-in-cheek situation, like this whole endeavor, which I know that I waste a lot of time, but (laughs) I don't know if I would go this hard into something that was like ironic. Do either of you get that, experience that, where they people in your life think that we're doing this and kind of tearing him down a little bit no most no, people just think I i'm don't. like a failure so <laughs> you know, they just they just, they wow. just discredit it that's whoa. crazy well, whoa okay. evan you need better friends yeah um, I got dark yeah. jesus yeah it really did <laughs> no i don't think so i will say that i feel like a lot of our talk about keanu's performance very so much based on his performance and how he is in the movie. And I think that he just has real hits and misses as far as the kinds of roles that he's taken and the kinds of things that he's been in. Cause he seems to take a lot of things of yeah. like all across the board. And we've talked about that before. I think it's way more about the stuff that he's taking versus him not being a good actor. I think all of us are here because we like him as an actor. Um, yeah. And We've definitely had, I don't know how many episodes where we've praised his acting and they can't all be great. So that's <laughs> something to keep in mind as well. You know, we got to we got to throw in the good with the bad. I, I don't think by any means we're trying to be ironic. I think we're just yeah. uh, sharing our feelings. Yeah. I don't, I don't well, and also, a, yeah, also, we have to keep in mind the general cultural opinion of Keanu Reeves. 
Sure. Read the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. That he was a terrible actor. Absolutely. And from the Matrix till now was like a lot of variation on whether someone thought he was a great actor or not. And it's John Wick has been the Keanu sense where everyone thinks he's a precious gem and a gift to humankind. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is true. And I think it's totally fine to follow anywhere on that spectrum because any, you know, whether you like an actor or not is always going to be a matter of personal taste. But it is like there's a reason why pre The Matrix he had a certain reputation. And I don't think that's because he wasn't a good actor. I think it's because of the kinds of roles he was getting. Like Dracula, not a good role. (laughs) Yes. Like that was not meant for him. He didn't bring it to the part like he even said he is you know he was exhausted and didn't like have anything yeah. left to give for that one like right. those are the ones the bigger ones were him either playing an idiot in like bill and ted or things like dracula which was terrible and those were his biggest roles and the littler stuff where he's got some more emotional depth a lot of people haven't seen so I think that we're just talking about some of the the roles where he, you know, didn't get cast well or he took something he shouldn't have or whatever. Um, I think a lot of his bigger meteor parts where he really shows the the depth that he's shown in the earlier movies, like River's Edge, he showed a lot of internal monologue on his face without saying a word, you know? Yes. And I think that he hasn't had a chance to do a lot of that in this recent batch of movies. Yeah, absolutely. The last, the last handful of movies have been better movies, but not necessarily better for him. That's an interesting way to phrase it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I think most of, I think most of the kind of uh, criticism that at least I received, and it wasn't criticism; it was more like observation. Is like it seems like currently, like as we are experiencing Keanu now. Everything he does is like a 100%, right? <laughs> like he is crushing it. So to hear anything that is not that, which again, you were right, pre-Matrix, not always the case, that people are like, I don't understand. Isn't he like, he's Keanu Reeves. It's like, ah, he was Keanu Reeves then in a slightly different form though. So mm-hmm. like going from John Wick to always be my maybe and just all of the stuff that he's done recently it's astounding. It's so good. It's incredible. And there's a lot of stuff in these that we've seen that isn't that. Right. And that doesn't mean that we don't think jo- that Keanu Reeves is not incredible or that John Wick is not some of my favorite movies of all time. Um, right. Because they are. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, yeah. I, I The way I'd like to phrase it is like this, this podcast, we're not trying to like kiss his ass at every turn. This is a, Mm-mm. this is an actual critical look it, that's how i like to approach it at least where if he doesn't do good i'm i think we all say that and when he does yeah. do good we like give him the appropriate amount of praise and then yes. everything in between shades of gray so yeah i think i think that's exactly right i think that this is we're not trying to be overly critical or ironic about keanu reeves but we're also not trying to like sugarcoat how we feel about stuff if there's something that doesn't work for me i want to talk about that and why that's the whole point yes well said all right so if you're listening how do well the people that 
talked about that probably wouldn't even listen to this episode because they're like, what the hell is even cowgirls get the blues? So maybe this was all in vain. We probably should have waited till speed to talk about this. God damn it. All right. Revisit. Yeah, we'll, if, we'll if, mention it at the beginning of Speed. We'll say go back and listen to the intro to Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, <laughs> right? And yeah. then come back and listen to Speed. You don't have to listen to all of the episode if you don't want to, but listen to that intro. But my notes. Go back and listen to all the episodes where we hated Keanu Reeves. <laughs> right, it's not many. Well, I, we have a running list of ones we recommend and don't. So it's That's great. True. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm working on something really, really fun. I can't. I, I'll. Well, I, I. I don't want to say it here. I'll tell you guys offline. It'll be. It's really yes. good. So, Secrets. All right. <laughs> That's our housekeeping. Oh, I had one other thing. I, I found this article. I'll link to it in the show notes. This is just a very small thing, but I figured maybe the two of you would really, really enjoy this. Best Picture 2019. Okay. It has, it is crushing in the box office. It continues. It has earned. All right. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. $161.3 million domestically alone. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh-huh. John Wick Chapter uh-huh. Two only got ninety-two million. Okay, yeah. John Wick forty-three million. So the, the, the trajectory is incredible. It's yeah, it's doing great. I, I'm number number four is going to beat Avengers. <laughs> oh my god, I'm here for it. That would be incredible. <laughs> that would be incredible. That is it. It's kind of unheard of that a movie with this budget coming from these roots has made this kind of growth over time. I just, I read that and it's unbelievable to me. So just wanted to share that. It's great news. It's great news. So good. So good. All right. So to the matter at hand. (laughs) Yeah. I guess we have to talk about this now. (laughs) Oh no. And all this negativity. All right. We are talking about, if you haven't been able to tell, (laughs) the movie called Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. The uh, plot synopsis from IMDb basically spoils the film, whole cloth, (laughs) but I got to say it. So spoilers starting now, right? Not when we get there. (laughs) Sissy Hangshaw is born with enormous thumbs that help her hitchhiking through the U.S. from a young age. She becomes a model in advertising and her New York agent, the Countess, sends her to his ranch in California to shoot a commercial set against the background of mating whooping cranes. There she befriends Bonanza Jellybean, one of the cowgirls at this beauty ranch. The cowgirls take command of the ranch from the Countess and drug the cranes and live there with peyote. That is a terrible synopsis that tells you everything <laughs> about this movie. Uh, I I kind of wish I could have seen the progression of our listeners' faces throughout that synopsis. Right. How they contorted and... Raised eyebrows. <laughs> They're like, what? They didn't get that far. They were like, next. Let me yeah, put on yeah. this American life. Uh, <laughs> I, in my fantasy about where we fall with podcast listeners, we are among incredible company. This American of life. Course. Of course. This is based on the 1976 novel by Tom Robbins. It was adapted to the screen and directed by Gus Van Sant. Co-starring in this movie is Uma Thurman, Lorraine Bracco, Pat Morita, Angie Dickinson, John Hurt, Rain Phoenix, and Ed Begley Jr. We uh, are at the critical and audience reception part of the show. Whitney's going to take it away. I'm curious, Uh uh, you know, uh, these percentages here. Yeah. What are you you thinking? So uh, people don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) No one does. It has a 19% score for critics on Rotten Tomatoes and is 
28% score for audience reviews. Ouch. Uh, That's pain. That's painful. Yep. Yep. It's always fun to see those numbers right before you're about to watch it for this podcast. See, I try not to watch. I try not to look at those numbers before. Oh. Yeah, I did not. I did not. I always try to not read anything and not look at the top part of the screen before I hit play. I'm just like, okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I pulled up uh, this document here that I have a running document here. Do you do either of you know uh, what the next? lowest movie we've watched so far is based on critic score mm, no you can tell me your thoughts it is because a lot of them didn't a lot of the early ones didn't have a critic score that's true except this one for some reason young blood right. has twice what? as much at 38 percent. yeah oh okay so yeah huh is tw- young young blood's twice as good as this right uh, yeah yeah, probably. Yeah. Easily. <laughs> uh, okay. Fair. Fair. Okay. Okay. The system isn't flawed. How dare you? <laughs> right. How it's aggregating everyone's reviews. It's perfect. It's perfect democracy. <laughs> we have I, I pulled uh, user critic quotes here. Uh, I think these are pretty much accurate. Jonathan Rosenbaum at the Chicago Reader says Gus Van Sant adapts Tom Robbins' comic counterculture novel of the 70s. And while the results are both cheerful and occasionally inventive, they can't hold a candle to his previous features, uh, among which is My Own Private Idaho, Drugstore Cowboy, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then we have user Coxie M. Five stars. Gave this movie five full out of five. Not five out of like a hundred. It's five out of five. <laughs> Gus Van Sant is probably the only director I know who can make a film that's boring and interesting at the same time in more than one case, too. Oh, yeah. And I'm most likely one of, like, five people to give this more than a star. (laughs) Yeah. Know thyself. Know thyself. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I guess we should just get right into this. Did did this movie – Ev, I want you to – if you would indulge me here. Did this movie work for you? No. 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 Well – (laughs) <laughs> there were snippets, but as a whole, absolutely not. Okay. Um, th- there were, in fact, the last like two minutes of this movie were great. Um, and that was like that was a kind of glad I stuck in for that. But otherwise, I just didn't. It was totally lost on me. The, I guess the plot's fine. Like, I think it. What I take away from this is. It was obviously trying to be like campy and like weird and artistic. That was obvious, but <laughs> I, it just felt way too much for me. Like I, I would imagine like my own private Idaho had some of that feel, as you might expect. But that movie is studied for what it accomplished right, mm-hmm. and how it was shot and some of that stuff. I didn't get that vibe from this movie that I wanted to get. That if you're going to take those liberties, if you're going to be so far out there, you're going to be like wild with your story, do things that are even subtly impressive. Um, and I, I don't know. I just didn't get that vibe. Yeah. Um, character development was probably fine. It, it was a weird character. <laughs> probably. So <fine. laughs> it's, it's not. I don't know. It was kind of it was all there. Like she was. Uh, it, it was all told in the very beginning. Like she's going to be a hitchhiker. So. Um, obviously it was original, 
And then Keanu, we saw him for 40 seconds. God, so brief. So, so brief. brief. So uh, memorable, though. I, so memorable. Very memorable. Very memorable for a couple different reasons. That suit. Uh yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll talk about it when we get there. I want to save that that part, but I, I actually really liked Keanu, but there was a couple of very notable things about no not the least of which is potentially he, him being in brown face. <laughs> yes, um, very oh, much. Right. They mentioned that, that outright. Thing. Oh my yeah. god. Yep, that's the thing. But also, I think he did a really good job and was very for being on screen for literally like all of 40 seconds to be somebody that, that the main character thinks about later and whatever, you have to ha- really like capture people in that moment. And mm-hmm. he did. Yep. yep. He did. He, I believed that someone that saw him for that period of time would think about him again later. Yeah. That's yeah, a good point. I would. Yeah. Okay. I agree with that. I, I thought, I thought he did a nice job. Um, you know, his he was working through like an asthmatic condition, which was a really interesting character quality. And, <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought he did fine, but it was otherwise it was it was like a, I had to I felt like I was like trudging through this movie. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whitney, is it safe to assume I, I don't want to assume anything here. I, mm-hmm. I feel like just based on previous episodes, you have feelings about this movie. <laughs> is it is it safe to say? That's, yes, that's that. I think that's very fair assumption to make. Okay, yes, I do I, have feelings. I'm going to capital give the people, F. Give the people what <laughs> they want. Here's what I, here's what I'm just. I I would like to just. Uh, there will be no splitting the difference with me. I'm going to just slot in here and then I'm just going to let you take it away. If that's all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Right. I can, I can wrap this up with an hour long Ted talk. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Uh, I already forgot this movie, right? If I didn't have my mm-hmm. notes in front of me, there'd be nothing for me to, what I remember is Keanu's sideburns and the suit that he was wearing uh-huh. and large thumbs and everything else. Great, great suit. <laughs> Yes. His whole vibe was great. Like the the, the bright red pants, everything was firing on all cylinders, Keanu wise. Mm -hmm. A lot of the rest of this movie, it's adapted from a novel that was written in the 70s. And I I don't know how difficult that is to adapt. The the closest analog I can think of off the top of my head that's something perhaps equally as trippy would be like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, right? Which I think did a great job of adapting what is crazy, crazy stuff to the screen from page to screen. Mm -hmm. Beyond that- It's actually in my notes. I don't know how much of this is Gus Van Sant's fault and how much of it is Tom Robbins' fault. I actually wrote that down (laughs) while watching the movie. Yeah. Because I I haven't read the book. So I don't know how much of this is just in ingrained in how the story was told and how yeah. much of this is Gus Van Sant trying to translate it to the screen and not doing it well. Yeah, right. I, thought, I had that same thought. I, I think I, I can't remember if I was maybe I was talking with Ev or I was trying to work through this movie with somebody else. And I don't know if this is a Gus Van Sant thing either, but I can say this definitively. The only Gus Van Sant movies that I seem to have 
a difficult time accessing are the ones that he does the screenplay for. Whenever he's working with someone else's material, for me, I'm like, this is great. This is undeniably mm-hmm. great work. And then when it's his own screenplay, I find it to be like really hard obtuse. to follow. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be per- that could be just his style and it just doesn't dive, jive with me. But uh, th- this is another one of those cases. So even though it's adapted, it, it, it could be that. Car- About 15 minutes in, I wrote in my notes, this movie has its head too far up its own ass. And that's all I wrote. I don't know what scene that was. I don't know what that was in reference to. I just put that and and then like kept going. Uh, it, so, yeah. Fun. Okay. Uh, I agree with basically everything else. The character development very, very light touch on that. Uh, we get the idea of these people from things that are literally said about them. So it's a, it's the opposite of what you should do in a movie. You should show, not tell. This is a tell, no show. Oh, they tell everything. And they don't <laughs> everything. Show any right. of it. Yeah. yeah. The originality is, uh, I think it's pr- a pretty, ori- I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this. So I got to give it props mm-hmm. for that. Uh, for better or worse. Um, mm-hmm. And then technically it was just like middle of the road. There was like a couple cool time lapses and some other mm-hmm. stuff that I, I, no, there was, I couldn't even tell you anything else off the top of my head. So that's how I feel about this movie. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not, yeah, I did not have a great time with it. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, Whitney, yeah. Let's give right. the people so what before, they want. Be, before I go full Whitney, <laughs> I, I do just <laughs> I do just want to say that I think that if you picture a John Waters movie and a Wes Anderson movie having a baby, <laughs> that's what this movie is. There's okay. a lot of, of wacky characters. It does not go as hard as a John Waters film. Yeah. Um, so it's it's much more like watered down than that. But it's very aesthetically um, its own thing in, in a, a very um, precious way like Wes Anderson is. Um, so I think that, that there's a lot of – it kind of washes over you in a very – the, the dialogue, the the setting, the costumes, the the way that it's shot, all of it washes over you in a very distinct mood and a very distinct um, like impression. I, I don't necessarily think it works as a story at all. I don't mm-hmm. think anything tracks and I don't think there's any real growth or development or, you know, it's not like a progression of things that build to a point where you like feel a good resolution of the story. Like none of that traditional story mechanics happen here at all for me. Um, But I do think that it's successful in the way that it builds a world full of quirky characters who talk in very obtuse ways and wear weird clothes. And like just the, the, the whole, the whole world was achieved, but the story wasn't there at all. Ah, so that's okay. just like a, right. a, a surfacey thing that I want to say is I think they actually did a hmm. good job with like the makeup and the costumes and the cinematography and the editing to put together this world that has a very distinct presence for me. Like I, I was, it was a slog to get through the movie. It was so hard to finish this movie, but I do <laughs> yeah. think that he did a good job of building that world and making it feel cohesive. I never felt like something was standing out as being 
too weird or not weird enough or or not fitting the world. I feel like it all was very it felt very whole in that way. I just don't think that any of the storyline actually was a storyline, which is why we're all left feeling like what happened here. Yes. Yeah, you mentioned the costume, those like coveralls that she was wearing. Mm-hmm. I, it took me until like three quarters of the way through the movie that like even the shorts she had on were from those. Like the mm-hmm. amount of <laughs> awesome zippers on that thing yeah. was so great. Like the jacket yeah. zipped into the pants, the pants became shorts. It was yeah. unreal. I was like kind of wanted to go find that. <laughs> pants formers, if you will. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. So what? so the main the main thing now to go full Whitney on you uh-huh. is this movie, the story. And again, I don't know if this is Tom Robbins fault or Gus Van Sant's fault or both of their faults. But this movie is about it's masquerading as a feminist work. It is on a list like so, you know, there's for for women who identify as queer, there's very, very little cinema out there. Um, and so there's a, a anyone who has ever like just there's way more um, gay cinema than there is like lesbian cinema. Mm-hmm. And there's a few mm. notable, really, really good ones like but I'm a cheerleader and stuff like that. But there's this, there's really only about 15 movies that fit into like that category with, but I'm a cheerleader being one of the top ones. Yeah. And this one is in there. And now this is one of the only ones in that like 15, 20 movies that I haven't seen. Uh, And Mm. now I realize why I haven't seen it. And it's, (laughs) it's so, I've never seen a story about a, and I'm going to use this in, in like quotation marks, but this woman is disabled The whole movie starts out positioning her in the same way that disabled people are brought, are trained to be in the world. Like Mm -hmm. the scene in the doctors where she's like, if you meet anyone with ugly hands, if you see any boys with ugly hands, this is the only way that she's going to get married. That kind of thing is, is a one for one parallel of like people with disabilities. Now she can hide hers or it doesn't need to stop her. And it's, part of her like power of freedom or whatever. But like, so this movie is about a, it's a bisexual feminist disabled plot line where it's, I've never seen anything like this. So colored by the male gaze. Yes. And it's so like, first of all, she's so beautiful that all of her other stuff doesn't matter. And that's consistently brought up over and over again in the movie is how beautiful she is. People are falling in love with her before they even see her. She's making Keanu Reeves faint and go into a coma because he's so emotional when he meets her because of her beauty that like it's saying you can be disfigured in some way as long as you're still pretty. It's saying you can be weird and still be as long as you're pretty, you'll be fine. But there's also a crazy amount of male gaze in the way that the relationships with women are handled. Like it, the amount of lesbianism in this movie is extreme compared to the amount of lesbianism that I actually is in most movies. But like, I don't feel like there was any in here because no one that was involved in this movie actually understands women who have relationships. Um, and the, the whole main part of the, the countess and 
I, I don't necessarily have huge problems with the character of the Countess, but I have huge problems with how much of it revolves around women being disgusting. So much of this movie mm. has to do yeah. with women having smelly vaginas, with having a beauty camp where they go lose weight, with the way that the, the cowgirls are described over and over again, even by women in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, we kill the gay character, which is a cinema trope for a reason. It happens all the time. But, like, she's too comfortable in her own skin and she's gay and therefore she can't survive to the end of the story. (laughs) Um, Hmm. And I just think that you can't have a novel written by a man and a film shot by a man about this kind of character and have it play well because it just, it's so off the mark for anything even remotely realistic as far as even I think the, the before she has sex with anybody and she's still a virgin, I think didn't even accurately touch on her feelings about her own virginity. Uh, It was still colored by like a male's idea. All of her is about men. Yes. Even though there's almost no men in this movie. And so all of the stuff that they tried to do with her story and her freedom and her figuring out who she is and all of that stuff is completely undermined because the the end moral that you walk away with is how is she relating to men? Like, how are men viewing her? And that's what matters. So that's that's my... Uh, I could talk about it a lot more, but I'm just going to leave it there. That's my <laughs> feelings about this movie is I feel like the reason that it doesn't play and the reason you can't build any story and the reason you don't get in character growth is because two men that don't care about women were involved in making this movie. <laughs> and I, I don't know how much is Tom Robbins fault. And I don't know how much is Gus Van Sant's fault. I know Gus Van Sant is um, I, very interested in queer stories. Uh, I don't know if he's actually gay, but I assume he is gay. Um, so it's it's weird for him to choose a story that is all about feminism and women um, when he doesn't necessarily have like he, all of his stuff is about is male centric. Um, and I don't know. I've never read the book, so I don't know how much it was written in the 70s. But I feel like even at the time, this this view of feminism was already like dated when that book was written, let alone when this movie came out in the nineties. Um, so I feel like it just doesn't hold up because it's such a patriarchal view of feminism that it just like, no one can grow and no one can, whatever the only person who was comfortable being themselves was shot and killed. And every other person was essentially only valuable in how they related to the men, which there are almost no men in this movie. So yeah, those are my feelings. As usual, thank you. Evan, I don't know if you feel similar to me. I didn't feel qualified to speak about that, even though that's basically how I felt about this thing. I just wanted to make sure I, it's, I would rather listen to someone who could sum it up way better than me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, I. it felt icky, like, to... Mm-hmm. Like oh, all of sure. the all of the words were there. Like I, you know what I'm saying. Like yeah, all of the 
they were saying the words, but it did, it felt hollow. Is like, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad that okay. I'm glad that that was not. It was like my spidey sense was tingling. I'm like, this feels wrong. So yeah, okay, good. And uh, I <laughs> I also think that it's a big thing of the the surgery on her one thumb. I don't know. They did not make it clear enough why it was one thumb and not two. I'm assuming that's something from the book that didn't get translated super well into the plot line of the movie. Um, But for something that I think is ostensibly about a person coming into their own, it should not end with her like getting rid of the thing that makes her unique. Yeah. And I feel like that's not explained super well why she did it or why it was only one. And clearly it is part of her like power because she tries to hitchhike. Well, I'm jumping in now to the synopsis part, but. But yeah, no, you're right. It, but I think that that's another part of the problematic element of the story is like you like why is solving her disability part of her coming into her own? Because that's the opposite of the kind of story that I want to see. Right. And it was it was actually. She didn't you know, for better or for worse, that character did not jump in with both feet. It was a ha- it was quite literally a half measure, like mm-hmm. do the one, but let me keep the other, you know, like there was, well, I wonder if they use it as a way to make it obvious to her that it was important. The, the power like that the, the dis- like yeah, embracing the one it. thumb does. Cause remember she's like trying to hitchhike with the new one. And then she adds in the old one and it works. And it's like, okay, I, I'm, I should still keep this. I, I, it is an important part of me. Yeah, but she, And now she knows. Now she confirmed yeah, it. Yeah, but she, she knew that. Very early on that was said that she knew that that was her power and, and that, like, she if she didn't hitchhike at least once in a day, she, you know, her <laughs> yeah, thumbs, thumbs were disused. <laughs> um, so weird. Yeah. So, like, I feel like coming into your own should not be a reminder of what in that way, like taking away half of it to make you realize what you have. Cause she had already realized what she had early on in the movie. So I don't understand, like, unless that happens early on in the movie and that's part of her coming into her own and appreciating the other thumb for the rest of the movie, it doesn't make sense to happen. So close to the end. Yeah. It seems to like just undo all of the talk about, what makes you unique is what makes you special. That's, that's kind of exactly how I felt about that, where like either go all in on it or don't do it at all. Mm -hmm. But she had already kind of, and I'm again, I'm air quoting here for just to the disability. She embraced it. And she, it's like, that was a part of her, right? That is Mm -hmm. allowed her to, for better or worse, like live her dream of like, keep moving, experience life in the way that she wanted to. And I'll just remove one. I'm like, I don't understand what the motivation was there either. It just felt a little weird. That's all. Yeah. Um, so all, all of us super positive on this movie. Great. Cool, 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 cool. Probably is 28% in the audience about where you feel, or is it lower than that even? Somewhere in the 20s. <laughs> Somewhere from twenty to twenty nine, I would say. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm. I think max. I'm right in there with the nineteen percent critic reception. Got it. Doesn't even cross the the percent the twentieth percentile. Mm-mm. Okay. I don't even think it crosses into the twenty. Got it. Okay. For me. Wow. 
Yeah. Pre twenty. <laughs> yep. It's bold. Bold. <laughs> <laughs> so the yeah. I, I don't know if there's much else to say uh, no, about I think this. We've covered it. All right. Well then I think we can, you know, go in a different direction and really, yeah. really pep things up. Yeah, let's yes. get it going. Here I'm so go. excited. This is my favorite thing. America's favorite game also. America's favorite game. You voted. Pop quiz, asshole. There was a time when I had the need to learn from you. Oh, what the hell do you know? Lose. I don't lose. I win. She's got a lot to learn about sportsmanship. Pop Quiz Asshole is, very simply put, our quizzo show on this game. The host, in this case me, will ask the contestants three questions each with the possibility of a bonus question, which I was actually able to scrounge together for this movie oh against boy. all odds. Nice. I was I was curious about that. This seemed like it was going to be a hard one. There are literally six pieces of trivia on the IMDb trivia page for this, and I was only able to use three of them. So I had to get a little creative. So <laughs> bear with me. Pop quiz is usually much more exciting than this. But here we go. I think, oh, you know what we should actually do is I'll do it right now. I'll recap it. Not that it really matters. I'm sure everyone's keeping a tally in their own uh, personal notebooks here. Whitney, 26 mm -hmm. points. Evan, 10 points. And myself. Yes. 14 points. Silver. I hope it's a 17-point bonus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The final, yeah. One million, for, and for one million points. Give me the exact budget down to the dollar of this film. Go. The Daily Double. I picked my number. <laughs> Fun. Oh, we could add some Daily Doubles to this thing. That's not it. That's not it. Okay. Uh, you just had the wrong key, but that's that's the that's the pattern. Okay. It's a, like a You're close. Thing. All right. Ev, um, let's start with you for this one. Mm, okay. Great. Goose egg coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> How many Oscar nominees are in this film? It's multiple choice. Three, nine, or seven? And I stole your two's uh, number pattern thing just to keep it consistent, Aww. even though I'm opposed to it philosophically. I see right through it. <laughs> um, so, like, ever? Right. Not at any point. How many okay, Oscar not. nominees are in this film? Three, nine, or seven? That's correct, yes. Um... say seven you did yes. it yes oh my god ready Thank the lord john hurt <laughs> uma thurman lorraine brocco pat marita carol kane buck henry and edward james almost so wow crazy cat some of those people are totally wasted in this film to be honest sure so definitely uh yeah so all right it's a point for evan let me uh note this down here oh my god this guy Get a point. Come back, kid. <laughs> Don't call it a comeback, Wit. <laughs> quite a quite a mountain to climb. So still, all right. Here we go, Whitney. Which of the following actresses really wanted to play the role of Sissy? 
Jodie Foster, Patricia Arquette, or Gina Davis? Whoa. I'm going to say Patricia Arquette. That seems like a Patricia Arquette role. I'm sorry. Ooh, the hesitation. <laughs> sorry. I didn't have the bus. Stupid buzzer. Oh, that wasn't on purpose. <laughs> no, that was a yes. It was a buzzer. Oh, man. Buzzer. Really kept me on the edge there. <laughs> I'm going to keep it in. I'm going to keep Seriously. it in. People are like, the music will continue to play. It'll be great. All right, Evan, this is your chance to steal. Which I, one of the I, uh, Go ahead. I feel like it was Jody. Unbelievable. <laughs> Who is this guy? Wow. What have you done with Evan? No, it just made sense. As soon as you said her name, I was like, oh, yeah. Jodie Foster, really, for the main role? Okay. I wonder what that movie would have felt like. Better, worse? I don't know. I don't know either. At that point, she had done Silence of the Lambs, right? I'm thinking probably, yeah, the Silence of the Lambs. She's a little bit older, right? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I think it would have been a little more subdued than Uma already was. (laughs) Fun. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. Super exciting. (laughs) Let's speculate about this movie that we didn't enjoy. All right. How could we have made it better? All right. Here we go. (laughs) Yeah. One of Keanu's co-stars in Bram Stoker's Dracula, your film, was originally cast in the movie in Keanu's role. Who was it? Was it Gary Oldman, Carrie Elwes, or Billy Campbell? Gary would have been wrong age. Um, hmm. I'm going to go with Carrie. Ah, That's incorrect. That is incorrect. Well, Whitney. is Okay. I'm just going based off of looks. Billy Campbell has more potential to do brown face as a Native American. So Billy Campbell. Gary Oldman does. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. It was really? Gary. It was Gary. Oh my. I pulled an Andrew. <laughs> I was going to I didn't I bit my tongue. I literally almost I almost <laughs> laughed when you were like Gary wouldn't be. No way. I was like <laughs> Okay. Wow. Here's where things start to you could tell that uh we ran out of trivia. So, this is a very generous <laughs> um it's a very generous uh, question here. Whitney, here oh, we go. Boy, great. Yeah, generous one I tr- to Whitney. <laughs> I tried to. I tried. Please forgive me. <laughs> this movie <laughs> had an estimated $8 million budget, and it's still greatly underperformed. So how much did this movie gross in its theatrical run? And as an assist, okay... I'm mm-hmm. going to give you $750,000 on either side of the number. Okay. Whoa. It's a pretty big swing, but I, this is a terrible, it, it's a number. There's no multiple choice. You just have to throw mm-hmm. a number at me. I'm going to say $2 million. You did it! Oh, oh good call. It was $1.71 million. So it didn't even Jeez. make a quarter of its budget back, which is pretty rough. Yeah. Pretty wow. Rough. Okay. All right, Whitney. Maintaining a lead. Oh my god. Oh my god. Here we go. Evan. Mhm. The entire soundtrack 
to this movie was written and performed by a pop singer-songwriter. Who was it? Oh, it's a good thing you didn't give this one to me. <laughs> you, it might be yours. Who knows? Whoa. Did Evan stay for the credits? Probably not. <laughs> no way. I bailed. Probably should have. <laughs> In hindsight. <laughs> um, I can't even think of any of the music. <laughs> it was that good. Could at least get me there close. Were Seventeen songs on the soundtrack. Wow. Basically, this whole movie was a, a music video. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It feels. Oh, right. I'm gonna be so angry about this, but I have no idea. No idea is incorrect. Whitney, would you like to steal? <laughs> it is KD Lang. Oh, Nailed wow. it. KD Lang. Perfect time, right? In that slot of time right there. Damn it. She owned that. There you mm -hmm. go. There you go. Damn it all to hell. All right. You have both moved up an equal number of points so far. Here we go. Whitney. <laughs> this, is a, this also might be a softball. I have no idea what your experience cool. is with that. <laughs> I don't know. Here we go. Peyote, the drug that they used in this movie <laughs> to keep the cranes from migrating and moving around, is derived from this type of plant. Oh, I don't actually know that. <gasps> I mean, I don't, you know. What he was suggesting that you would. I, I mean, I... I you're he did suggest that I would. California, I don't know what the... You know, you lived there for a large portion of your life. You said you saw... Fear and loathing it might have come up. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say cactus. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it! Perfect. Yeah, because yeah, they're in the desert and it's great. So yeah. there you go. Pat Morita's yeah. there. It's perfect. It's a perfect day. Okay. Oh my gosh. I have a bonus question for you. Uh, <laughs> again, I hope you stayed for the credits. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the first answer there's no multiple choice just throw it out there if you know it or don't or just take a good guess here we go this is two points by the way not 17 someone pivotal to this story was the narrator who was it um i'm just gonna go ahead and guess yeah. john hurt Wait, John, what'd you say? John Hurt? John Hurt. <laughs> that is incorrect. He was pivotal. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who was it. Wow. The... I don't know. The guy who played her father when she was a kid? I'm sorry. It was actually narrated by the author of the book, Tom Robbins. Uh, oh, come on. Look, pivotal. I don't know. Look, pivotal, otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Uh, the whole true. thing. And maybe we'd be better off. I don't know. This is like the, the first first audiobook. <laughs> kind of, I guess. He was involved somehow. So there you go. All right. I didn't quiz. want to say anything before America's Favorite Game, but how weird is it that William Burroughs was in this movie? Super weird. Yeah. Oh. Or Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover? Well, it's not weird that Crispin Glover was in this movie. This movie was made for somebody like Crispin Glover. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's he weird, weird. That, Will, that beat poet 
William Burroughs <laughs> yeah, played himself. Right. You know, like, unless, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's not that weird. This is definitely like a Kerouac, Ginsburg, Burroughs kind of a movie. Yeah. But it's weird that he's in it playing himself. Maybe that was just like one of the stipulate, like Gus or Tom were like, you know what? We should, you know, who should, you, who we should get for this? You know, and I, I don't know. I have no idea. It's all around. It's all around weird. I don't. I don't know. I don't yes. know. All right. In the wake of just finishing up that game, Whitney, twenty nine points. Evan, Woo-hoo! twelve points, and myself, yes. no point change. Still fourteen. So so close to dirty thirty. <laughs> thirty flirty and thriving, as they Same. say. <laughs> <laughs> Same energy. Okay. Are the two of you ready for me to like just tear through this movie? Yeah, let's let's just blaze through it and get it done with. Yeah, I have a like couple 10, 15 minutes max. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna have to cut a lot uh, of more notes than that. here. Okay, uh, I have a couple pieces of audio that I'll play throughout to kind of supplement and give you an idea of what the hell is going on here because it's very difficult mm-hmm. to explain. Not unlike Shakespeare, but certainly not as good as Shakespeare. What the hell is actually going on in this movie? I think you probably had to do more translating for this to to actually break (laughs) down what's going on than I had to do for much ado about nothing. I feel super nervous about the weight of this. So, (laughs) you know. I could not do it. I'm so, I, by about 60 minutes into this movie, I had the thought. Thank God that I'm not the one that has to say what's happening in this movie. Thank <laughs> God that this is Andrew's job because right. yes, I don't know I if I could do it. So yeah, you're you're taking one for the team here, Andrew. Don't be nervous. Last week you're doing I called a job this. No one else wants to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, last week I called Gus my albatross, and this movie proved that to be absolutely true. <laughs> so very much, I'm like, oh, notebooks and iPad notes and all sorts of stuff going on here. All right. Let's do this thing. We open at the birthday party of a young girl, and there's an accompanying voiceover telling us it's a marvel. She hasn't turned out as a neurotic disaster given her circumstances, okay? Those circumstances being that she grew up with kind of a garbage dad in the suburbs Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. had really, really big thumbs, like (laughs) really big thumbs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like as long as her fingers. Right. It's claw-like when they are all held up straight. Freddy Krueger style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> right, exactly. Whatever your metaphor for... I do. The first note that I took was you shouldn't make a movie about someone with large thumbs if you can't make the prosthetics look better Oh, than they were so yeah, yeah. bad. They were so bad. They were so bad. And they were so clearly prosthetic in the way that Uma had to interact with them. There yes. were literally yeah. times where she was tucking the thumbs into her hands just so that she could like do the things she needed to in the scene without them like flying off. Yep. Every time she got into a car, she had to like do like raptor hands and like tuck them into her chest with the thumbs wrapped in her fist so that she didn't like go to get in the car and the thumb just like flies off of her. Yeah. They're probably somewhat fragile. So yeah. I was figuring that's probably it, right? Like they're, you know, they're like these, these are super expensive to mold to your fingers. Please take care of them. The budget is only $8 million. <laughs> uh, so 
After this, we cut to a doctor's office. He's examining these very large thumbs. The doctor says she's a medical oddity. And he quotes the painter Gauguin, says something about beauty, and sends them along. Get out of here. Go away. The next scene, we're at a fortune teller, played by Roseanne Barr, of all people. The fortune teller, and this is the part of the movie, again, many parts, they tell, not show. The fortune teller literally says she sees a lot of men in Sissy's future, but also lots of women. Okay, got it. I want to note here. Thanks, Roseanne. (laughs) Thanks, Roseanne. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So definitely thought she said famine. And uh, now the movie makes a lot more sense. (laughs) Wait, she a lot of famine? Is that what you thought? Yeah, like the second part, I thought she said famine, as in like there won't like there won't be many men. Like she was contradicting herself. Oh, interesting. But (laughs) apparently, I need to tweak the EQ in the old home theater. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, she said women, lots and lots of women. (laughs) Sure, Uh, you were watching a totally different movie after the fort. You're you're looking for this. Everyone's eating. Yeah, where's the dust bowl and the you know. People out of food. Oh. This is nothing like the Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will say there was a, uh, I'm remembering the fortune teller scene. There was a really cool shot where there's like this huge, big crystal ball situation. And you would think that you'd see like the equipment and the cameras and stuff in this crystal ball. But they did a great job of like yeah. kind of shooting around that. I don't know how they did it, but it it, it looked really good. There's a, there's a compliment. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) we see sissy at the library she looks up the definition of thumb of all things and we find out this at this point she fully embraces the idea of hitchhiking the words greater freedom of movement are actually highlighted on the page of the dictionary and that is pretty much the theme of her life Mm -hmm. we then see uma thurman in what appeared to my eye to be a prototype of the kill bill one piece jumpsuit uh, she emerges oh, from a lumber truck call. and goes into the post office, right? She uh, apparently has kind of P.O. boxes set up all over the country because once she gets to one side, she goes back to the other, back and forth, back and forth. That's her life. She receives a letter from someone named the Countess asking her to come to Manhattan. So the next we see her, she's waking up on the side of the road. And then she gets right to hitchhiking, which is kind of this very choreographed, almost dance-like situation. She's very good. She stops a bus, uh, a plane, a car. She stops all of these vehicles with her thumbs from the ground. Uh, she eventually gets picked up, and she is headed due north. Uh, I have a clip here of how serious she takes hitchhiking. When I was younger, I hitchhiked 127 hours without stopping. Crossed the continent twice in six days, cooled my thumbs in both oceans, and caught rides after midnight on unlighted highways. When I'm really moving, moving so freely, so clearly, so delicately, that even the sex maniacs and the cops can only blink and let me pass, then I embody the spirit and the heart of hitchhiking. I have the rhythms of the universe inside me. I'm in a state of grace. So, pretty serious about this stuff. <laughs> we uh, we arrive in New York, and she makes a very oblique reference that's never talked about again to the first car that ever picked her up. But we disclose that she discloses that her ethnicity is at least part Native American, and this is mm-hmm. this Native American thing comes up quite a few times throughout the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. 
We meet the Countess, who is a very interesting fellow, and describes himself as such. Freak schmeek! All of us are freaks in one way or another. Try being born a male Russian countess into a white middle-class Baptist family in Mississippi and you'll see what I mean. Do, mm-hmm. What do we think about this character? Is it a character or is it... I don't, I don't, I don't want to just jump to the caricature part, but that's kind of felt a little bit over the top. Am I wrong? No, no. I mean, I definitely think it was over the top and that's... He, that he is one of the reasons why I am. I felt like it was John Watersy. He's one of the main reasons why it felt John Watersy to me. Okay. Um, I do think that it was. I I started off ready for it to be super problematic, and it turned out to be one of the less problematic things <laughs> in this movie for me. Okay. Um, because everyone was very chill about gender and it it was not really while it was sort of a caricature it was not really the butt of any joke which is what i was expecting it to be right but no one no one turned that character into the butt of the joke so i i kind of backed off from being ready for that to be problematic because i think it was over the top but i also think that it was no one was punching down at anyone with that that role i think that there was a lot more punching down at women um yep yeah, I would agree than, with that. Than yeah. at him. So I, I I was okay with it. I didn't love it. It definitely did not feel realistic. Um, but I also think that the fact that everyone was like chill with the gender sort of non-conforming and there wasn't any big joke made out of it, I was okay with it yeah, by the end. I think everybody kind of took him at face value. So throughout, mm-hmm. and he... Pretty much, that was him the whole time. He never changed gears from that. Yeah. So, cool. All right. I kind of, I kind of wanted like a Nathan Lane from Birdcage character there. <laughs> Interesting. And that's where my mind kept going. Okay, you were projecting. This was you projecting. Yeah, I don't know. This, I, I didn't get. I, I don't know. I didn't get the vibe that I, I yeah, projected on that character. That I, I guess I wanted out of that character. We learn uh, a few quick things about the Countess, okay? He was a former model photographer. He owns something called uh, a beauty ranch, uh, which is goes by the name of the Rubber Rose. And <laughs> he's trying to set Sissy up with a watercolorist who is his idol and just so happens to be full-blooded Indian. And th- those are the exact words that were used here. Mm-hmm. We find out that this watercolorist is Keanu Who's Reeves. Full-blooded Indian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me set the scene. It's Keanu Reeves with big sideburns. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, he's wearing an amazing red flannel suit with a unbelievably golden cummerbund, like the goddamn champion of the world. He looks <laughs> great. Like legitimately. It's no, perfect. It's like it's like a beautiful, it's just such a, a dandy outfit. Like yes. the, sure. all of it, the the combination of all of the fabrics, the way that he's wearing it, it's just, it's so over the top and yet he's wearing it and it's not wearing him, which right. would be so easy for a suit like that to be wearing you. And he's very much wearing it. And I love it. <laughs> it was great. And obviously to go with it, 
the first thing, you know, you see the shot of him from behind. He turns around, he flashes an amazing smile, and he's walking towards Sissy, who is coming down the staircase of this New York hotel, presumably, I guess, from the Countess's penthouse suite up there. The problem is, uh, upon seeing Sissy, he immediately has an asthma attack and needs to be taken back home. (laughs) He is struck by her beauty, which is something that Whitney mentioned, and he can't breathe anymore. So he has a bunch of his friends, I guess they are, entourage, whatever. They all get in a cab, which is, here's one funny thing that I really love throughout this entire movie. Anytime Sissy had to get in a car (laughs) that she wasn't hitching, she still made the hitch kind of hand gesture to- Before she got in. Right, to make it- fit in her life view or whatever. So I thought that was pretty funny. It was mm-hmm. subtle a couple times later on, but that was pretty good. At Keanu's uh, house, he gets a, a shot in the ass to help with his asthma. I didn't know. Uh, I guess that's some sort of steroid maybe. And I think he, it said adrenaline on the vial, oh, which okay. was interesting. There you go. So something, something even stronger. <laughs> yeah. We, we get a little bit of an idea through the interactions uh, that take place at this party, I guess, about the kind of people that he hangs out with. They're, you know, not people that I would want to associate with. <laughs> little they, bit. It's such a it's such a strong stereotype of like New York <laughs> elite. Yeah, like it, some of them are artists. Some of them are whatever have political aspirations, some of them, but they're all up too late and they're all drinking and they're all forcing their sexuality and their jokes and their whatever on other people. And it's just, it was a very, very good little like slice of pretentious people who live in New York. Yeah. And to have Sissy there, it was a great juxtaposition between Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, wow, she's, you know, clearly fish out of water scenario right here. At some point, Sissy decides that she's tired. She goes into another room and falls asleep in one of the beds. And then she wakes up in the, like, it's like a sexual assault in progress, right? It's Mm -hmm. Crispin Glover, his character, and then who I later found out was Crispin Glover's wife. So those two were a couple. They were both Mm -hmm. kind of, yeah, it was very, like, creepy overall. They're comparing breast size and shape it was really weird did not not a fan nope no Mm -hmm. next we are back at the countess office and he has hatched an interesting scheme that i'm going to try to break down he wants to hire sissy apparently the fda is trying to outlaw or ban (sighs) what is how do you how it's feminine spray what do we want to call this i don't even is this a thing it's not, not really de- anymore. Okay. It was deodorant. Yeah, it's 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 vagina deodorant. Yeah, essentially um, just like an aerosol spray for vaginas. Mm-hmm. So the Countess devises this very elaborate plan, okay, to send Sissy to his beauty ranch, okay, which is on the migratory path of these endangered whooping cranes, which apparently have a very elaborate mating ritual. They're going to film a commercial involving the cranes and Sissy and then advertise for this vagina spray. Did, is that mm-hmm. about right? Did I did I figure that out? Yeah, I think it was like a, a bunch of beauty products, but that yeah. was at the forefront. Sure. Let's go with that. N- not really. <laughs> uh, he, 
he made a big deal about how terrible women smell and they smell even worse when they've had sex with a man and blah, blah, blah. I, I was yeah. brutal, but it was all about how gross women are. It was primarily just the like spray yeah. because the whole thing was he talked about the FDA says these sprays aren't good for you. Yes. And so we need to capitalize on this natural event and and have you come back as the spokesperson and uh, show that you've been using this product for 10 years and you're fine. Correct. So from here, we get a montage and a pretty elaborate one at that. Uh, we see a little bit of the Rubber Rose Beauty Ranch, what goes on there. We see Sissy hitchhiking. We meet someone named Dolores Del Ruby and see that she's very good with a bullwhip. She whips a playing card out of a snake's tongue. I'm not even sure why that snake had a playing card in his tongue. And then we also <laughs> learn uh, <laughs> the correct method for how to hypnotize a chicken. So uh, mm -hmm. 20 times in a circle and it's uh, yours for life. So mm -hmm. all good. All very important to the story, by the way. <laughs> Don't forget any of these details. <laughs> I really wanted resolution in that scene, and it just didn't come. And I was so sad. I was like, well, now what? You lined them all up? Did they, like, follow you around like ducks? Because that would be cool. She said when she, like, pitched the idea of hypnotizing a chicken, she's like, they'll do whatever you want. Yeah, like, they're yours forever. This is going to pay off. And she, she just, just laid them on the ground. And lays them on the ground. <laughs> right. And it really just looks like rows of dead chickens. Truly. It's really. <laughs> right. I know there's, yeah, it's fine. But, okay, great. <sighs> oh, my God. What am I doing with this movie? We see Sissy has arrived in the town of Sisters, which is where this beauty ranch is. And she's immediately told, you know, for the rest of this time, I'm going to refer to him as Pat Morita. But right out of the gate, she's told by these hippies, don't go see, uh, apologies in advance, don't go see the chink, Okay. And he's not all he's cracked up to be. It's apparently this wise man that lives up in the hills, right? Don't go see this person. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great foreshadowing. Yeah, they use that term a lot in this movie. <laughs> I, I literally <laughs> recoil into myself. Every time someone mm -hmm. says it, I'm like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Is it is it really great foreshadowing or were you being very sarcastic? <laughs> oh, it was it was at 11, my friend. Okay. Oh, so bad. I'm trying. I'm Whatever try you do. Don't go see this man. Right. Do not do it. You're not. <laughs> no. The plot will not move forward by you seeing this man. Okay. Oh, man. At this point, this is something that Whitney referenced. Uh, Sissy takes a beat. She sits down on a log. And then she lays down on a log. And then she begins touching herself and fantasizing about Keanu Reeves, whose face appears in the sky, which mm -hmm. was... Kind of interesting. I think we've all been there. That's a pretty relatable part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> Just me? That's cool. Mm. <laughs> yeah. She is. On a, on a very comfortable uh, log. Right. By the of, side of the road. By, yeah. Literally, literally, like, directly by the side of the road. <laughs> oh, yeah. Inches from the road. <laughs> Midday. Just kind of like, well, no better time than now. It's true. Hey, and the mood strikes you. I don't know. Hey, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yums. Whatever you're into. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, man. She is rudely interrupted by someone named Miss Adrian, who's from the ranch, coming by to pick her up. Apparently, she was informed that Sissy was in town. 
Adrian tells her that the cowgirls are to blame for this decline in attendance at the ranch, but she's going to take care of them in due time. At this point, we get a walkthrough of exactly what's going on at the ranch. So we have a facial bar, we have hair specialists, exercise. It looks like they might be doing karate or something like that. All the things that the Countess noted would be good for widows and divorcees, which is great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) After this, we are introduced finally to Bonanza Jellybean played by Rain Phoenix. And honestly, super easy to tell that she is from the Phoenix family because those genes are strong. It is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, Mm -hmm. crazy. Mm -hmm. Rain Phoenix, she proceeds to tell her story and say that she was inspired by Sissy, who was sitting right there in front of her. She dreams of becoming a cowgirl and told uh, the story of kind of I guess, self-actualizing to make that a reality, despite all of the resistance from society at large to the idea, like the idea of a cowgirl, someone strong, female, empowered. Is that about right, Whitney? I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to kind of put, <laughs> I, that's why it's, I'm turning to you. That's good. All right, great. Yeah. We see a kind of budding friendship and perhaps even more start to develop. The chemistry is Pretty intense between Jellybean and Sissy right here. Mm-hmm. In the very next scene, we are... I think it might be the most chemistry I've ever seen Uma Thurman have with someone on screen. Very possible. Mm. I, I don't think that she is someone... She is someone that I regularly think she does not have chemistry. She has a certain, like, ethereal Tilda Swinton-y kind of a thing. Yeah. And she's got, she's got like, a very quiet gravitas. But I don't often think she has chemistry with almost anybody. She had chemistry with uh, Rain. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I, the chops in that fa- in that family again. I can't, it's it's really really crazy. Really well done. Their relationship yep. in this movie. Yep, Rain well. is the is my favorite part of this movie. She does an incredible job. Absolutely, absolutely. So in the next scene, we see the commercial that the Countess was describing kind of play out. <laughs> we, we have Gus Van Sant's Udo, Udo Kier, who we remember from My Own Private Idaho was the fellow who did the fun dance and song. It's the same guy. He's the director of this oh, commercial. Yeah. The, the premise is Sissy is dressed as a whooping crane and she's protecting and nurturing this nest. And when she... When the camera pans down, tilts down into this nest, it's full of these fragrances. It's it's really bad. It's truly, mm-hmm. truly mm-hmm. bad. I did like the outfit. That was kind of cool. It was cool. Kind of black the swan. The outfit was cool, yeah. Yeah, black swan type thing going on there. It was uh, pretty neat, pretty neat. In the next scene, we have Jellybean and Sissy on the riverbank talking about tension in the group and how women should be able to uh, take charge. I'm gonna play a clip here and then let's let's chat about it. What is Debbie's position? Well, Debbie says that if women are to take charge again, they must do it in a feminine way. They mustn't resort to aggressive and violent masculine methods. She says it is up to women to show themselves better than men, to love men and set good examples for them, guide them tenderly toward the new age. She's a real dreamer, that Debbie dear. So, you don't agree with Debbie, then? Well, I wouldn't say that. 
I expect she's right, ultimately. But I'm with Dolores when it comes to fighting for what's mine. This is cowgirl territory, and I'll stand with Dolores and fight any bastards in my tonight. Aggressive. Yeah, I so I, I I liked Rain's part of that. I'm I feel ill-equipped to. They're, they're saying, saying the right stuff, stuff but th does, does they come through correctly? And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on Whitney for this because you know better than I do, and probably better than Evan. I'm gonna assume. I I don't feel comfortable talking for all of the women. Well, uh, I, I, I just kind of, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not, with that caveat. But I think, that, yeah. I think that that's, that's a very good example of what the kind of stuff that I was talking about that really struck me as being a male gaze of feminism. Yeah. Of being like, I just almost every time that she was my favorite character, but almost every time that she talked, my skin was crawling and not yeah. because of her, but because of the dialogue that was written for her as the like strongest, most self-possessed person in the whole cast. She was the one who was like, got a lot of the philosophical stuff to spout. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, yeah, I don't know. I have, I had a lot of problems with almost everything she said because she was given a lot of the stuff that, um, just uh, I, hits me the wrong way. Yeah, that's feminism as <laughs> from the book of man, right? So that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, all right, good. I Those are the scenes, especially, I'm like, man, this is the, this is the conflict, because you're like, she's very good. <laughs> but the words, though, <laughs> so, okay. They mm -hmm. end that conversation uh, by kissing right on the riverbank. And we, the camera zooms out really far to an adjacent hilltop to someone is watching this unfold. And it turns out to be Pat Morita, who uh, rolled his eyes in a really funny way uh, upon seeing them kiss. He's like, oh, God, here we go again. We cut back to a scene and the Countess has arrived at the ranch to maybe celebrate the completion of this commercial we don't know the exact reason, but he's he's back. Jellybean gathers all of the cowgirls and then confronts the countess at this party, suggesting that the ranch should be payment for the harm that he's done to women. He responds with a challenge, right? He says, if you want it, then you should take it. At which point they oblige and there's like this all like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's really all we needed to hear, bro. And they go for it. They literally, it's a hostile takeover. It's pretty great. They kick out all the women. They say, if you don't, you know, get out. You have five minutes to get your shit and get out. It was pretty funny. People are getting lassoed, horses in the lobby. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. During this madness, Sissy escapes and goes out to the wilderness where she actually runs into Pat Morita. She's like up on this ridge. And he's doing what I can only describe as the precursor to Heath Ledger's Joker laugh. I'm going to play that right here. <laughs> right? That's awesome. Did you guys get that? Because I was like, that he stole that. He totally stole that. I should have got the Joker laugh for comparison. I, I'll drop it in. Maybe. We'll see. All right. So Pat Morita, that's what I'm going to call him for the rest of the film. I hate his character name. It's terrible. Yep. 
he invites her back to his lair, I guess you could call it. It's like a cave, right? It's like he looks lives pretty, up in the mountains. Pretty great. Right? Awesome. I mean, it was well appointed it did. It for did. a cave. I was like, I might be able to live in this cave. Yeah. Definitely. Sweet ass cave. He found it. So mm-hmm. uh, he said he's going to make her supper. They exchange some pretty interesting and, and meaningful words. He, he had a quote that I really enjoyed. He said, uh, he, he's talking about just kind of life at large. And he says, you can dance to anything as long as you feel like dancing. And I thought, I, I like the sentiment behind that. I thought that was, mm-hmm. I thought that was great. It's a re- that's something yeah, to live he, by. He, he proves it by dancing to like a political speech on the radio. <laughs> yeah, it's some, pretty funny. Yeah, it was well done. Well done. He goes on to say that he loves the cowgirls, but he can't get behind their utopian dreaming is what he calls it. And then he kisses Sissy after they smoke pot, I'm guessing. Maybe opium. I don't know. They smoke something. I, then they don't kiss. Know. I assume it's pot. Yeah. And then later we find out, you know, a little bit further in the movie, we found out that they actually ended up having sex. So, mm-hmm. great. Sissy wakes up in the cave slash lair all alone. And then she decides to mosey on. So she gets right back into hitchhiking which she hasn't done for quite a while, and eventually ends up back in Manhattan in the Countess's penthouse. In the interim here, we find out that the the whooping cranes are missing through kind of these television broadcasts, all right? The ranch was this halfway point between two stops in their migration, and they never made it to the next stop. So the Countess suspects that the cowgirls are involved, right? And he says Mm -hmm. as much right out, you know, right to Sissy. And he actually accuses her of being in cahoots with the cowgirls and slaps her, at which point there's a very satisfying bitch slap to the countess, and she knocks his ass out. She actually apparently gives him brain damage. That's how hard she hits him. I guess it's the big thumbs, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, the 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 power of her thumbs is what <laughs> put him gave him brain damage. That's right. why that's like the whole point is her thumbs are so powerful she can't slap a man without killing him. <laughs> Right. He, you know, he does a very over-the-top exaggerated dance around the room before falling over. It was it was pretty comical. After she knocks him out, she's looking around in his quarters, and she actually finds a note addressed to her from Jellybean, where she professes her love and gives a little insight into what happened to the cranes. Apparently they stayed because they were being fed rice, I believe they say it is. Brown rice. Sissy then travels... This is the part of the movie where I, I I couldn't understand. She travels to Richmond, Virginia to talk with the doctor, who I believe was the same doctor from the beginning of the movie, about surgery to get a thumb reduction, down, down to regular-sized thumbs. He has actually been, uh, what is the word you use when a surgeon is no longer, li- he's not licensed anymore, he was, his license was revoked? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he would be doing this kind of off book, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Really weird. Really weird. Yeah, it was malpractice for giving someone a, what did he say? Oh, uh, a pub- pubis nose, I think it was. <laughs> Is that true? Something I, like that. We I can thought verify. he said hubristic. <laughs> hubristic nose? Wow. Yeah. Fun. Well, we can't trust well, Evan. The EQ I on his mean, home theater is all yeah. off. He We've thought famine earlier. Really proven. Yeah. All right. Y- yeah. Yeah, hubristic <laughs> nose. And so he got 
like his medical license taken away. Fun. You know, we again, it's super important for the story also. Don't forget that part. Mm-hmm. We, there's a scene of surgery. She goes through all that. There's a very odd thing that happens where uh, apparently the surgery is a success. It takes quite a while. They keep cutting back to this clock. Great. They cut to the scene of the thumb in a surgical tray and it's still moving. It's just super weird. I'm not even sure what that what that was supposed to mean. I'm sure that the book probably we're missing some details here. Just mm-hmm. fun stuff they decided to throw in. Back at the ranch, we have a survey team and a plane spots the cranes on the land of the ranch. Then we get a confrontation between the cowgirls and the police. The cowgirls, they tell the police, get the hell off this land. And the police respond by saying when they return, they will have court orders, search warrants, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We uh, get this monologue from Jellybean. It's delivered partially in person, partially over the radio, but this is essentially how Sissy hears the plan. She basically tells the world that man can no longer be trusted with the caretaking of these cranes. It is now a woman's task, and they they will take this over and care for these cranes until they see fit. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I had audio for that. I don't want to play it. It's too long. It's like a minute and a half. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> I was like, crap. Sissy uh, obviously heard this monologue over the radio, decides to rejoin the cowgirls, but has a very difficult time hitchhiking due to her now normal size thumb, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about this. The surprise comes when we find out she only had one of them removed. So she doubles up on the thumbs and immediately catches a ride. The next scene, we see federal agents, the army, local police, all sorts of other armed forces gathered outside of the ranch. Perhaps far too much manpower, given the situation. Just putting that out there. Sissy arrives, enters the ranch, and then is reunited with Jellybean. She explains that she is willing to die, not for the whooping cranes, but for the cowgirls. Then we also find out the cranes are staying because they've been drugged with peyote from the cactus plant. So there you go. Uh, what else do we get here? On the radio, we get this. There's like a 48-hour deadline granted to the ranch before they must begin negotiations or they're just going to kind of come take it by force. Not too far away in the camp during all of this, we now see Jellybean and Sissy sharing an intimate moment under the, scar- under the stars. They are in a sleeping bag together, um, kissing, whispering sweet nothings, that sort of thing. We have a weird uh, appearance here. I, I don't know if either of you noticed this. Just Keanu-related, uh, kind of. There's like a, a brief moment where the camera paused. It's going across the faces of the cowgirls, and Heather Graham is there, just like she was in I uh, Love You to Death. Just for like a moment, Heather Graham is mm. there. Pretty weird. Just, hmm. thought just thought I'd put that in there. She's there. Trust missed me. It. <laughs> She's there. I don't. also missed that. So Yeah. Oh, it could have been a good pop quiz. All right. There we go. Dolores, this whole movie, has been talking about these peyote visions that she has. She's the one who has this hookup, right? And the morning of the deadline, she has this third vision that tells her to expect another, but in the meantime, the business with the government 
and the cranes and all this stuff has to end, not violently, just let it go. She conveys this to the cowgirls. Sissy decides, or not Sissy, I'm sorry. Um, who am I thinking of here? Rain, Rain Phoenix's character decides to be the messenger, bring the good news to the government that they can have their cranes back directly to the federal agents. She, however, makes the mistake of drawing her guns to discard them and is shot right in the stomach area. This sends all of the other cowgirls into this huge rage. They begin firing on the federal agents. There's this huge firefight. We're talking like automatic weapons versus like rifles and pistols and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's a little much. It's a little much. In the midst of this firefight, everyone pauses for a moment to watch as this flock of majestic whooping cranes leaves the ranch bound for God knows where, the next look, you know, the next destination. But this makes did the you, firing stop. Did you notice that they never showed like the entirety of the flock? It was always way zoomed in on like four <laughs> right, yeah. flying together. Yeah. I was like, this <laughs> I footage just was is like, very show grainy. the whole thing. <laughs> like, make it. Make it impressive. Right. There's like, <laughs> wow, there's four. four of them. Look at them. Look at all four. <laughs> I've seen four birds fly together before. It's fine. Oh, my God. So, Sissy at this point, you know, all the firing has stopped. Everybody's kind of calmed down. The cranes have left. So, I guess this is the signal that the army can leave, right? They're like, oh, we don't need to kill these people after all. Great. Sissy... Uh, approaches Jellybean and they share a few final words and Jellybean dies, uh, which is very sad, actually. That was a that was an interesting and, and kind of intimate moment there. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the next scene, we see the cowgirls all mourning the loss of Jellybean, as well as Sissy taking care of uh, Pat Morita, who like fell down a hill during that huge firefight. It's not like he was shot or anything. He was just there. And then he rolled down a hill and got all busted up. Um, I, I don't know why they felt it necessary to show that. Could have cut that entirely. But he announces that he's leaving town and they drive him to the train station. The movie ends with a voiceover describing how Sissy found this trunk full of love letters addressed to her from Jelly Bean, apparently unsent. She read them all. She gets on a horse, she rides out into the middle of nowhere, starts a fire, and then burns them one by one. And that's the movie. That's it. Mm-hmm. But I will say that those, like, the, the narration in those last two minutes I thought was really great. Like, just about the brown bag and how it held different things and that she forgot to burn it. I don't know. I just thought it was, like, a really nice ending. Yeah, It was just a really nice moment. I don't know if it was a nice ending, but it was just a nice moment with... It kind of made me want to read the book, actually, if that was, I would imagine, pulled straight from the book. It seems like it may have been. It was... Yeah, I agree that the... the, I think the... It's something along the lines of, like, the brown paper bag is the only thing that man has invented that looks like it comes from nature kind of situation. Like, it looks like it belongs somehow. Mm Mm-hmm. and then, you know, it's like, oh, earlier today it was carrying a ham sandwich or whatever. And yeah, pretty well done. Pretty well done. Ends on a, doesn't redeem the movie, <laughs> really. But no. it's like, oh, this is, that was a nice thought. So <laughs> even cowgirls get the blues. I think we said what we need to say about this. 
The only thing that I didn't say that I feel like I should say okay. is Carol Kane is a national treasure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I there were She was also in this for only like 40 seconds, but she I hated her so much in this movie, and that was on purpose, <laughs> and it was so good, and I just I just love Carol Kane so much. She's so great. Yeah, absolutely. I I really like the character. I like Lorraine Bracco too. I thought I was like, man, I could watch this person maybe mm-hmm. for a movie. If, yeah. if you know what what was her, what was her life like before these peyote visions or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I, it was just very. Yeah. There was so many, so much potential, and maybe it's in the book. But again, if it's like the book should not be required for uh, an understanding of the movie. It's like, you can't, you can't expect that. So again, we don't know what was lost or, or anything like that. So uh, <laughs> I guess we get to this point here. Um, do, do we recommend this film? Nope. No, I do not. <laughs> okay, good. So we are in agreement. Not since Bill and Ted's bogus journey have we been in so much agreement. <laughs> weird that that was the last one that we totally that didn't is recommend. Weird that was the last one that all three of us said no to. Was that as bad as this? I don't think so, but man. All right. No, that was better than that. <laughs> oh, uh, much better. Okay, okay. But also still would not recommend Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Perfect. I understand. I understand. By the way, they as of recording this today... July 1st, in the year of our Lord, 2019, they started filming Bill and Ted today. Correct. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. So excited. Yep. Should have mentioned that up front. Doesn't matter. Here we go. Where does this fit in your ranking of of Keanu? Uh, I'm super curious here. I'm putting Uh, it down at the very bottom. Pretty Uh, low. (laughs) Not the very, very bottom. Um, Prince of Pennsylvania is below it. I would rather watch this again than Prince of Pennsylvania. Okay. And one step away is still the very bottom of all of our, because (laughs) it was just 28 garbage minutes. (laughs) Fun. Yeah. But it is, it is below young blood and above Prince of Pennsylvania at the very end of my list. Okay. Yeah. This is in total, this is number 16, which is fourth from the bottom. Yeah, okay. And on Whitney's, she's number 17. I'm probably also going to place it at number 17, uh, Whitney and I, which would give Whitney and I the same exact final three, the Prince of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. or no, even Cowgirls Get the Blues, the Prince of Pennsylvania, and then One Step one Away. One Step Away. Which, yep. let's make sure that we don't watch a movie that is worse than that one. <laughs> Be pretty hard I to hope we don't watch a movie worse than <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes of, like, after-school special. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. I hope, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad the two of you stuck with me. I hope our listeners also stuck with me through this, uh, which was rather difficult uh, movie to summarize. Mm-hmm. None, none of us recommended it. So if you listen to this, don't watch it. Don't. You don't have to. Yeah, if you've gone this far, you've already spent too much time on it. <laughs> yes. Just watch the last two minutes. It's it's pretty. Yeah, all right. Uh, fair, fair, fair. And then unlike Ev, watch the credits. You might learn something about <laughs> who's in this movie and who does stuff. Okay. All so, right. all right. Next week, very exciting. Ev will be leading the discussion of a movie called Little Buddha. Uh, we actually have a review on iTunes 
about someone uh-huh. looking forward to this specific, th- like they called out Ev and Little Buddha in the review. And I don't know if they looked up our film list to figure that out, but someone's very excited to hear you talk about this movie, Evan. I mean, I'm excited as well, so. Have have we seen this? Has I have not seen this movie. I have no idea what I have else. not seen it either. Okay. Nope. All right. I think this is I think this is totally totally unseen for all three of us. I uh, yeah, I I worry about this just from a from a title point of view and the fact that it's in the 90s that we might get into some like shaky ground here about uh, culturally. Yeah, yeah. I just it feels like <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it's like very I'm a little apprehensive, I got to be honest. But well, I you know I'm going to go hopefully, in. Hopefully, hopefully at least no one is uh, n- characters named a racial slur. <laughs> yeah. We it, can only go up from here. Well, yeah, that's that's very true. You would figure that in the you know, almost oh my god, it just oh, bothered me so much that oh, I, Pat Marita got he got done a dirty, I, you know. He did. Oh, okay. Not not necessarily his character, because I think his character for being a weirdo was pretty likable, and he did a good job of like doing that. Just you can't name a character that. Yeah, you can't. Oscar nominee Pat Morita. Okay. <laughs> no, don't do that. Nope. All yeah. right. Have a little bit of say in it, Pat. All right. Very excited about next week. Are we ready to take this in for a landing? We don't need a... I don't think we need to add anything here, unless I'm wrong. Nope. All right. I think we're ready. Let's That's do everything. it. You can find our website at coolbreezepod.com and access all of our episodes, the list of films we'll be reviewing, and much more. You can also reach out to us by emailing coolbreezepod at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. A lot of cool uh, little things happening at, on the Twitters. Uh, it's, people just prefer that over email. I, I, I love it all, so... If you think this is a podcast you can get behind, please give us a subscription on your preferred platform and a review would be incredible. We will be back next week, but until then, Whitney, where are you on the internet? I am at Whitney underscore Nelson, N-E-N on Twitter. And from there, you can find all of my other shows. Uh, Almost Better Than Silence is about video games and historical hotties is about dead people that we fancy and the uh, I just found out we're doing an uh, episode coming up this week um, is about race car drivers. Uh, and I found out that the first black guy to win a NASCAR like anything looks exactly like John C. Riley. Um, <laughs> huh. Wait, alert. wait a minute. Hold on yep. a second. <laughs> yep. Yep. OK. All right. Uh, he looks exactly like John C. Riley, um, and it is. I'm not googling wild. that. I'm not googling it. Shake and bake. <laughs> if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> yeah, his name is Wendell Scott. If you want to Google him, okay. anyway. But it's an interesting episode. So historical hotties. Um, yeah, and then Myth Takes is a real play RPG. Uh, uh, the Fast and Furious podcast is coming out at some point. Don't know when, but stay tuned for it. Um, yeah, and you can find all of that from my main Twitter account. Sounds amazing. <laughs> you were Rad. not lying. Oh my uh-huh. god. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wendell Scott. One of the first black men in NASCAR period. And then and the first one to win a Grand National Series. Looks exactly like John C. Riley. Incredible. What a claim mm-hmm. to fame. 
that he probably he's a, he's, even... a, he's a dope guy. Like, listen to the episode because he's cool as hell. All right. I am looking forward to it. Yeah. And all of you should as well because I know you can't mm-hmm. get enough of Whitney. <laughs> no one can. <laughs> 700 podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I got to feed the beast. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Ev, tell yeah. us about your vast internet presence as well. Far-reaching, some have said. Yes. They have even said that there are so many corners of the internet in which I exist that never will all of them be found. So, you know, other people say this, not me, okay. but, um, you know, I'll give you some of the easy ones. There's an Insta Instagram, uh, under the handle of Evan Acri. There's also a Twitter that shares that name, but it's real bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll just give you those two for now. Um, and then, you know, it can be like a little adventure for, uh, our, our listeners to find the rest. So. Go get them. <laughs> How about you, Andrew? Great. Great. You can find me on uh, most platforms at Dark Driving. Twitter is uh, is a good one. Instagram, I've recently started posting some stuff. If you follow me, I do more story stuff on Instagram because I, I like the fleeting nature of it. It reminds me of, of life itself. So, no, oh, sad. Sad? All What's right. sad about it? I don't know. I don't want to come to terms with the truth of life. <laughs> oh, okay. Am I going to die someday? So, so it's not sad. <laughs> it's not sad if you're like me and Andrew and totally fine with the fleeting nature of no. life and the right, impermanence. Right. If you sure. have yet come to terms with it, sure. Okay. Yeah. He yeah. just doesn't want exactly. to face it. That's all. That's all. No. Okay. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. And then uh, keep an eye on the uh, the Giphy. I'm I'm jazzed about doing these giffies for some reason, and I can't quite explain why. There's a, a little bit of an art and a little bit of a science to it. So, yeah, that's great. Channel slash giffy.com slash channel slash cool breeze pod. Uh, there'll be some good stuff coming up there soon. I think it's um, jiffy.com. Just Don't even get off. You're done. You're out. <laughs> get out of this. <laughs> I will die on the, the, the gif hill. This is, yes, I, I will plant the flag right here. <laughs> I will hold uh. this episode hostage until we sort this out. <laughs> God damn it. I so mean, on that very controversial note. Very controversial note. Hit us that, up on Twitter if you are also willing to die on the Jeff Hill. Oh man. Do that. Not the Jeff Hill. Evan Acree. On Instagram, (laughs) comment on all of his photos. The correct pronunciation of GIF, please. (laughs) Thank you all for joining us. (laughs) And in the words of Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. It's pronounced GIF. So, all right, everyone, we did it. Great job. Cool. Great work, everybody. Time for bed. Yeah, that's right. Got you five minutes. It's just enough time to brush your teeth and and make it happen. Mm. (laughs) Thanks, guys.
okay. You work out of the home now. It's fine. What is your what is oh, your so good. What is your commute? Three minutes from your bedroom it's down so to the living room? Good. 